We're going to continue this morning in our series on discipleship, our theme. This will be the last Sunday. I just want to make a reminder to you that on the 6th of March, uh, tonight, because of the big game, um, we're going to ask that you do your prayer time at home. Unfortunately, we learned over years and years and years of uh, trying to schedule a prayer time on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, This side of heaven uh, just somehow struggles. So we're going to entrust you to pray at home. But next month, we're going to double down. And we're having a major event here, March 6th in the evening. We're going to be showing War Room. And if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. And so you also need to invite people. And uh, bring some friends to that and make it, write it down on your calendar um, because it's, it's an important um, part of, of the Christian walk, of the Christian life. And it pertains to what we're talking about today as well. So let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to bless our time in the Word this morning. Father, we ask that you speak, that you encourage, that you enlighten us that uh, your Spirit gives to us direction, guidance, uh, encouragement, um, coaching. Uh, And Lord, that we hear what we need to hear. Uh, Give me understanding, Father, how to uh, relay this message uh, in an encouraging manner, but in in the fashion, Lord God, that it it requires. Uh, Thank you, Lord that you're working amongst us. Encourage us now through your word. Amen. Well, I have a question for you. Do you remember the first three? Because today we are on go and remain. There are four components to our discipleship theme. And our discipleship theme is all about turning on the lights. That the idea is predicated out of Matthew 5.16 where it says, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and what? Give glory to your God or glory to the Father, your Father who is in heaven. And the idea is that through our lives, through Christ working in our lives, that we become that light, we become that, that sweet aroma of Christ to those around you that need the wonderful transformation that Christ does in our life. And we're talking about using this symbolism of turning on a light. And that it's not just a a matter of someone saying um, that yes, it sounds sounds inviting, that sounds great, that sounds fantastic. And, And so we say, hey, it sounds like somebody may have, they might have, they quite possibly could have committed their hearts to Jesus. It's more than that in order to turn on the light around here. It's, it's digging down, it's having the deeper conversation, and then it's discipleship. And that's the part that we're going to talk about today. The challenge for us today that I really want us to wrestle with is this idea of staying power. Staying power. It's, it's a discipline, not a privilege. It is a discipline not a privilege. And when you think about staying power, I, I don't necessarily, um, I, I don't often go to movies that are above PG-13. 
every once in a while if I feel like it's not an entertainment reason, but there's something to glean from it. Um, I live in an R-rated world <laughs> already. You're like, what does that mean? Uh, folks, the world we live in is R-rated. Um, just whether you're watching the news or whether you're walking down the street or having coffee at Starbucks. Um, but I am not justifying for your personal reasons to partake in that. Um, but there is a movie out currently that, um, that reflects reality somewhat, and I wanted to see what the veracity of this was, the movie 13 Hours. And so I went to see this, and um, I would just let you know ahead of time, there's, there's a lot of violence. It's a war movie. Um, but it's the reality of what happened over in Benghazi, according to uh, those that researched it. Now, I'm not going to get into the politics of it all. That's not the point of bringing this up. Um, and there's a lot of language in it. They say shoot a lot. Okay? Pun intended. So, what's interesting is that early on in the movie, they recruit a local Libyan. And his name is, uh, let's see, what is his name? Amal. His name is Amal. And the reason that they have him is that at this CIA outpost that doesn't exist, of course, the CIA never exists, right? It doesn't exist, and yet it's there for gathering information. It's all about intel. And Amal worked with them to communicate with the locals. And there is a scene where uh, these privatized um, uh, military men have to go out into the community of Benghazi and uh, accomplish something. And they need this guy, Amal, to go with them so he can communicate. And he says, he's just this small, diminutive guy. And he says, I'm not a field operator. What are you talking about? I just, I just do translation. And this one soldier, his name's Tanto, he says, you are now. And he hands him a gun, and he puts a helmet on him, and he looks like a bobblehead. You ever seen that? His head's so small, it's like ding, ding, ding inside this giant helmet. So he gets out there, and everything goes wrong. And it was incredibly traumatic for him. He, Amal almost lost his life, and he goes back to the compound. So what happens? That's just the beginning. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But remember this idea that staying power is purposeful. Staying power is admirable. Staying power has its effects that can influence or transform people. Remember Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane that His, his shocking words were, Father, if you can take this cup from... In other words, if I don't have to go to the... If we could just stop this right now, I'd be fine with that. And yet what did Jesus do? He stayed. He said, but not my will, your will. I'll stay and I'll finish the job, knowing everything that was coming. The same thing happens with Amal and, and Tanto. And, and by the way, throughout the movie, Tanto is constantly pushing Amal's like this with his pistol. And these guys are like, no, here, put it down. Come on, put it down, put it down. And he's just irritated by him nonstop. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So this morning, let's review our flow this morning. Jesus Christ, the disciple maker, is what we're talking about. Number one, come and see. Come and see is where we started a few weeks ago. And come and see is what Jesus did when he walked the, the hillsides, the synagogues, the temple of Palestine, and he would perform miracles. 
And the reputation got out about who Jesus was. That he was doing things and his light shined among men that it, it, it broke the darkness. And so what was the response by the people? They wanted to come and see. Right? And we talked a little bit about that with Zacchaeus. The Zacchaeus is as uh, pungent of a man through greed as he was. He was enamored with who is this Jesus. So much so that he climbed a tree as a full-grown man. He climbed a tree just to see who Jesus was. And he was impressed. But then the next part is where Jesus gives the invitation to come and follow. You move out of the come and see into the come and follow, and that's what happened for Zacchaeus. And and the statement by Christ in Luke 19, today salvation has come into this house, It's a beautiful statement. And then we talked last week about come and be. That it's the idea of training to be like Christ. Knowing what it is that you have committed to. It's that idea that Jesus walked with the disciples for months and months and months and gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to learn how to be Christ-like. To learn how to carry out the ministry. To learn how to what? Glorify God. They had the best teacher. And so that's a part of discipleship as well, is you've got to come be with me so that I can teach you. It's not just a casual observance anymore. It's not just a one-time follow. It's come and be. Today, we take it to the last point in this model of discipleship with go and remain. And let me catch up here. My thumb is a little slow. It's going to be like Peyton Manning on third down. Oh... Trust me, there's a whole lot more coming. All right? So go and remain is where where we are today. What does this mean, go and remain? Well, look at the, the statement that I'm trying to help you walk away with today. And it's staying power. It's a discipline. It's not a privilege. And I fear this, my friends, my sheep, that what we have done in church And in faith, as we've done a huge disservice, that we've said that your entire relationship with Christ is wrapped up into a solitary decision. And once that decision is made, we're good to go. I was recently sharing with somebody that, boy, you could go buy a Ferrari and put it in your front front, uh, yard in in, in the driveway, right? And boy, everybody's going to, you're going to get some attention. But unless you put gas in it over and over, it's not going anywhere. And pretty soon, people just aren't interested in what you have because it's just sitting there. It's powerless. And I think that there's a little bit of that. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I think there's a little bit of that that we have done a disservice in just saying, hey, if you just believe in Jesus Christ, you're in. Today, we're going to tread into some challenging waters. We're going to look at what it means to remain because remaining is persevering. It's this idea of the perseverance of the saints. If you look in Revelation and you look at the churches in Revelation, over and over, Jesus Himself says, blessed are those who overcome. That they're not dissuaded when things get tough. That when the mortars and the bombs and and the firefight happens and you have every right to just hit the road... You stay. Brothers, sisters 
in our churches, we have a problem getting people just to stay because there's a football game on today at 3.30. We have 67 adults in this room right now. We're a church of 150 adults. Why is it? Does it bother you that, that we've got all these empty chairs today? And why is it we have so many empty chairs today? Because I think the church suffers from multiple diseases, if you will. We'll get into that. I can see your faces. You're really excited. You're like, oh, this is going to be a really encouraging message today, Pastor. I'm never going to go on vacation ever again. I won't have any children because they keep me from church. I'll actually just give mine away to somebody who's a loser. Come on, focus with me. You ready? Here we go. Let's get into the scripture this morning. John 15, 5 through 8 is where we are primarily. And then we're going to be going into a different passage to break this down. I don't like just espousing ideas and talking about it. Let's look at the solution. Let's look at how we do this. But here are Jesus' words and the importance of this idea of remaining. Now, I have this idea of abide. You're going to see abide in the ESV. If you have an NIV, it says remain. So that's why you know, Bill Hull wrote this stuff before the ESV was, uh, was put out there. So if you're NIV, you're good to go. So I'm going to read it in the NIV from my notes here. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And that verse 8 almost mimics thought for thought what our theme verse this year is out of Matthew 5.16. So you're going to hear me reference that a little bit more. So let's dig into it. Number one, this idea of showing yourself to be my disciples. That was the last cogent thought in what Jesus said there in verse 8. Therefore, showing yourself to be my disciples. If we're doing this, this series and we're talking about what does it mean to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if Jesus himself says, therefore showing yourself to be my disciples, boy, that's some good stuff, right? We, we should focus on that. We should, we should break that down and delineate it. So we're going to. First of all, you need to understand that he's talking about remaining, that it's got to be a relationship. It's got to be an ongoing relationship with Christ. If you fail to continue to talk with, be around, participate with your relationships here, right? Your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, any of those relationships, working relationships. Let's just go there because that one isn't going to hurt as bad, right? So if you fail to show up for your working relationship, what's going to happen to that working relationship? You're going to get terminated, right? Now some... You can go a little bit longer than others. And some, there are reasonable excuses. When you're sick or there's an emergency or, you know, you're allowed vacation. But boy, a prolonged lack of remaining in that relationship does what? It severs the relationship. If you have no communication 
if you don't put any energy into your marriage, that marriage probably isn't going to last. So we see this idea repeated all around us, don't we? And yet, I have individuals come to me often saying, Pastor, you can't tell me that going to church or reading my Bible or having to pray, that I have to do those things. You're being legalistic. And I simply say to them, if you want to remain in relationship with Christ, then you make an effort. It is a discipline, not a what? Privilege. You want to stay. It's discipline, not a privilege. Now when we get back to this guy, Amal, I want you to consider where would he be And even in the movie, as these guys are up on this rooftop with bullets whizzing around them, they look over the wall, and there's a guy watching soccer on a laptop. And he just turns around and he waves. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) As a 50 cal is whizzing by his head. And and, and the guy says, this is surreal. You know, one of the soldiers says, this is just surreal. This is nuts. Now, you're not going to see those guys come down off the rooftop (laughs) and say, hey, man, Messi's on the computer. I want to go watch what's going to happen in, in, in the second half. Because you know what's going to happen if he does, right? See, there's something about staying power. There's something about staying power. So we need to break this down. We've got to show ourselves to be his disciples. These are Christ's words. So remaining is work, not privilege. And we're going to break this down according to 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. I'm going to give you the first point here. It's a verb and not a noun. This idea of remaining, it, 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 it's a verb. Being a Christian is a verb. Being a disciple is a verb. It's not a title. And this is an eloquent way for me to help us understand as those who say and attest that we love and we want relationship with Christ that often what we've done is we've transposed it into a title. Let me show you what I mean. America is a Christian nation. That's a noun. You see what I'm getting at, right? That, that I can be a Christian and never really put myself out there and never really do these things that Christ has said very clearly in Scripture because I what? Because I identify as a Christian. Yet Christ says what? And this is a very dangerous proposition, my friends. He says some very disturbing and difficult words here. He says, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. These are Christ's words. We want to manipulate it. We want to change it. We want to twist it around to simply say, you know, it was good for those disciples because they're apostles and they're like a lot smarter. They walked with Jesus. That's good. Jesus is sending a warning. You either remain with me or you're going to be picked up and thrown away because you're worthless. Nothing took root. Nothing took root. And listen to that carefully. So you all know if, if you're like fourth year theology students, right? And most of you are, of course, where we're heading with this. And, and so we'll move expeditiously. So number one, it's a verb and not a noun. In Second Timothy, we get some insight into this. And Paul's writing to Timothy and he says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace 
that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. That's a beautiful picture of discipleship right there. That's the multiplication that we're looking at this morning. This idea of multiply and remain. Multiply and remain. But he goes on and he says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So number one, he's talking about a soldier. He paints a picture as a soldier. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. So this morning, as we move through, number one, actually, let me read the whole thing because I've got to get to this idea of the farmer. And so uh, it says, continuing on verse 4, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Five, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Remember that this idea of staying power, that it's a discipline, it's not a privilege. We have to take this idea of of being a disciple and move it out of the realm of being a noun into a verb. And so Paul paints three pictures. And for this sake, we're going to talk about the fact that, that being a disciple, remaining in Christ, is to produce. And how do we know that? Because he says... This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And he talks about the farmer, that the farmer gets the result because he just sits in the farmhouse? No, because he works hard. Because he's up early. And he's up early every day. And he does what has to get done in order to produce what? In order to produce the harvest. Because that's his mindset. That's his mindset. He wants to produce a harvest. So that's where we start with this idea of remaining and multiplying. Remaining is work, not privilege. Secondly, devotion, not distraction. This is the idea of worship. And this is, we can take a picture of this with the disciples, that the disciples after Christ ascended, they weren't sure what to do. Do you remember what happened when they left the Garden of Gethsemane, they all scattered. They all scattered. These guys didn't do real well. Yet they had walked with Jesus for months and months and months. Over two years. But it wasn't until the power of the resurrection and then the ascension, what happened with them? They remained in Christ. And so Acts 2.1 tells us that they were gathered together and they were waiting on the day of pentecost they were doing what christ had asked and they were worshiping together you see worship isn't just listening to the word or or studying the word and singing worship is a state of mind it's a state of devotion and now these disciples had kind of the liquid nails of worship connecting them And that's on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them and gave them power. And that promise in Acts 1.8 as He was ascending to heaven was fulfilled. But for us in the church, sometimes it gets a little bit messy. 
Sometimes it's a little bit difficult to stay together, to stay connected. Because we'll let other things interfere. We'll let distractions interfere. We'll let the world and the time interfere. And so suddenly someone turns around and and they're saying, what? They're saying, I don't know about Christ. He hasn't really shown up much lately. My friends, when I hear that from individuals, what has happened is most of the time, the individual has not shown up to the community and to the discipline of being in the Word and being in prayer and seeking after God and waiting and leaning on His promises. They're not remaining in Him. You see, we allow distractions to come in and tear us apart and not stay focused. And it gets messy. It's like a five-year-old at a rib feed with no wipes. Third, fruitful, not flaky. This is this idea of faithfulness. And it speaks to the idea of the soldier illustration that Paul uses. He says what? He says, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs if he wants to please his commanding officer. Now what's fascinating about Amal is he makes it through these first nine hours of what's going on with these men. And this is a true story. And now they've gathered back. I'm not giving away anything in the movie. They, they gather back at, at this one spot having survived this initial uh, attack. And they post themselves up on these five buildings knowing that the next attacks are coming. They're on their way. And here comes Amal, the, the bobblehead guy, the local Libyan, up this ladder. And it looks like he can't even make it up the ladder. And he, and he kind of squats down. And again, Tanto has to go, you know, here, you know, give me my gun back. You're just, you're going to shoot somebody. And, and it's best if I just hold this. And uh, now they're having these conversations because they don't know what's going to happen as far as anybody coming to help. What they do know is somebody's coming to kill them. But what soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs? Those men knew their job. And their job was to protect until their death the people in that compound. But it wasn't Amal's job. And so, this soldier named Tanto turns to Amal and says, hey, you know, why don't you give me my gun back and, and probably best if you just go home. You know, this is, this is for us. And Amal's words were, no, I'm staying. I'm staying. Don't tell me to go home now. I'm staying. Tanto turns to his friend and he says, remind me when this is over to break up with that guy. I mean, in a split second, just the, the incredible power of saying, I'm committed. I'm committed to something that isn't even necessarily my requirement but I'm committed. Flip this guy's attitude in a second. In a second. And this is what Paul's talking about. Do you want to remain in Christ? You've got to stay faithful. You have got to stay faithful. 
This is the challenge, my friend, because again, go back to the previous issue. It's distraction after distraction after distraction. And my wife often puts it this way, that when you get hit by a train, it's not the caboose that kills you. But we let these little things come and infringe because of the normal part of life. But what we do is we turn around one day and we say, boy, I haven't gathered with the saints for two months. Boy, I haven't been in my Bible for three weeks. I haven't walked with the Lord for a month and a half. It's been a dry time. Say, how did I get here? Because we didn't say disciplined. We didn't stay focused. We weren't the farmer. We weren't the athlete. We weren't the soldier. So what's the last point that I can give to you on, on why this happens? Why the lack of remaining? And remember what Christ says, what's at stake here? Is that those that do not produce fruit, those that do not remain in Him, are what? They are gathered up and they're thrown into the fire. There is so much at stake that we should ask this question. Calling. It's a calling, not a convenience. And really that's, because I love alliteration, it's a conviction. It's a conviction. How many of you get up at five in the morning to exercise? Hallelujah, our church does not hold that conviction. Now, how many of you are dieting? Anybody dieting out there? Nobody's going to raise their hand. One person, my wonderful wife, because she knows, and I'll probably just say it anyway. So, uh, How many of you know how you're going to vote? Oh, now we're getting personal. How many of you know how you're going to vote? Raise your, I'm not going to ask you who you're voting for, but how many of you know how you're going to vote? All right, now we're getting somewhere. How many of you have the conviction that uh, Peyton Manning's forehead is way too big? Anybody? Nobody? Yeah. Well, who are we to judge? Let's move on. That's not a conviction. That's, that's a preference, okay? That's an opinion. Folks, conviction is something that's deeply held. It was a mall on that roof. This is my country. And I'm with you, even if it costs me everything. Because this is what is right. Versus what? Convenience. Why do we fail to remain in Him? Because sometimes we look at that relationship as when it's convenient, I'll do it. How does that affect us as a church? Don't worry, Dale, it might be the Holy Spirit coming in and we'll have like things of fire and all that stuff. I don't think the door will keep the Holy Spirit out. Amen? This morning, let's move on. I want to share with you real quickly this idea of proof of disciple, the model of multiplication. And this is just going to go really fast. But I want you to see it and how important it is. I I had a metric survey come through from the EFC office, and one of the questions was, how many people who were discipled in your church are now discipling somebody else? Or how many who are being discipled right now are discipling someone else? Where is the reciprocation? And I'm, I'm here standing before you that I'm excited. I'm, I know of three people that entered into disciple relationships this past week. God's working here. It's fantastic. And we're about to have somebody come into that mode right now that I could answer that question. Now we've had multiples that have been discipled and then they, it was go and remain and then they turned around and they decided. But, but in the years I've been here, I don't know that I can name a scenario whereby someone is discipling someone and that person is concurrently discipling someone else. 
in a one-on-one situation. But that is about to happen. And that's like the, that is the upper echelon of discipleship. That's it. That's multiplication. And that's what we're shooting for. That's what we're attaining to because that is the model that Jesus Christ set out with His disciples, is it not? And so He said, come and see. And they saw and they were appealed to it. Then He said, come and follow. And so they committed and they followed. Then He says, come and be with Me and I will train you because I'm leaving and it's going to be you. They did that. And then He says, now you've got to remain in Me. You can't quit. There's got to be staying power here, guys. And it should haunt us that there are those who stand naming Jesus as Lord and Savior who years from now will walk away from it. And I think what we're talking about right now and right here is one of the reasons that happens. So we have to have this model of multiplication. We have to have reciprocity. So you may accept being a disciple, but you also in turn ultimately need to take on the idea of proposing discipleship. Watch how this works. I accept the invitation to observe Christ. And I go through the whole process. Now I flip over to the other side and now I'm proposing an invitation to come see Christ. You see how that works? Secondly, I may have accepted at some point, and I have accepted at some point, to follow Christ. But now maybe God's asked me to turn that to someone and ask them, and I propose that they would follow Christ. Multiplication. I may have accepted the opportunity to be trained and to be with someone who walks ahead of me and and knows more and can help me learn and remain. And because I've done that, I can turn around now and I can propose to someone else that that would happen. This is how we remain, folks. This is the discipline. This right here. This is the discipline. This is the staying power. And then lastly, accepted the invitation to multiply like Christ and then I may propose it to others. Because if you don't propose it to others, if you don't start talking to others about this in your studies and and in your relationships and here at church and, and in your families, then it dies with one generation. Does it not? The farmer's market is open. How many of you go to that farmer's market downtown? There's one in Clayton. There's one over in, in Concord. And uh, have you ever gone to a farmer's market and you've got a booth that you really like to go to? Because the produce is great looking. It's fresh, right? It just breathes. I'm going to add five years onto your life, right? And then there's the booth that you just walk by because there's like not much there. Sometimes there's nothing there. Sometimes what they have is kind of wilted, and it's a Twinkie, right? It's that bad? You know, you walk by the booths where there's not much produce. You're not very interested, are you? The farmer's market is open, pertaining to our relationship with Christ and pertaining to this idea of shining our light. The question for us, are threefold. Number one, are you bearing or producing fruit? So we have this statement by Christ showing yourselves to be my disciples. So his question to you, my question to you, my question to myself is, am I bearing fruit? And we've talked about this morning how paramount that is. 
if Peyton doesn't get the ball into the end zone today, what's going to happen? He's going to retire. Maybe by the second half. Right? And, and, you know, I'm not stretching this too far. The idea is, are you bearing or producing fruit? And, and we've talked over the past few weeks about what that looks like. But secondly, my next, crop, or my, my next question to you is, is your crop FGA certified? Yeah, you see what I did there? You're, you're all wanting to know what FGA is. Fully God approved. Fully God approved. Now the question when we talk about remaining in Christ is so stridently difficult. And I don't pretend to know the answer, folks. So that's why I go to Matthew 13, 18-23. It's marked down. It is marked down in your notes, right? Okay, because we're not going to go there right now, but I'm going to just paraphrase. I'm going to tell you why I mentioned this passage. Because there's a bunch of passages that speak to this idea about remaining in Christ. Now, we should all take this challenge. We should all take what Christ is saying. Showing yourselves or proving yourselves to be my disciples. What does that mean? It means I'm bearing fruit. And it means I'm remaining in Him. How do I do that? We talked about the soldier, the farmer, the athlete. We talked about the fact that these are disciplines. We've got um, Donald Whitney's books, The Disciplines of the Spiritual Life, in our, in our library in the fireside room. Take it. We won't charge you a dime. Take it. Start there. Get in an accountability with somebody else to say, hey, I'm going to be about these disciplines and I'm going to work towards this. Get involved. Start meeting with somebody. Either start discipling somebody or be discipled so that you remain in that relationship with Him, right? But is your crop FGA certified? Well, here's what begs that question. What about the person that just drops off? At one moment, they were very excited about this. Maybe there was, there was challenge or, or difficulty or sorrow in their life, and they needed a boost, right? That they needed something, but it, it was impossible. It's kind of like Barry Bonds walking into a, into a kid's hat shop. That's a stretch, right? It's not going to happen. That one didn't go over very well. You see, Barry Bonds has a huge head, hats, it's a stretch, Let's go back to the point. The point is this. That your soil, your crop, needs to be fully God-approved. And the best way that I can answer this question is, well, when somebody makes this decision to follow Christ, how do you know if it's real? Pastor, I'm sitting here and you got me a little knee-knocking. How do I know that I'm truly saved if there's these people that drop off, they don't remain? How can I know I'm... I almost didn't marry this wonderful woman. Because I told, I told the pastor that married us, I said, I don't see a single marriage that I respect. I see them all going to the altar saying, I'm fully committed, I'm fully devoted, and then it falls apart. And these are good people. So something's hinky here. The meter's peaking. And I don't want to be part of that. And he said to me, don't let that rob you of the joy of marriage. And I'm glad I listened to him because I experienced the joy of this woman on a daily basis. But you want to know what's really sad about that? That same guy did not protect. He did not remain in Christ as a pastor 
and he let things come in. And he is no longer married to that woman that he was married to at this time. And his ministry has gone. Is there forgiveness? Sure there's forgiveness. Do we all get sucked into difficult times? Yeah, we all do. But the idea is if we remain, we don't have to put ourselves through all this trouble and all this tribulation. So Matthew 13 is a parable by Jesus. It's the parable of the soils. This is the best way for me to explain this to you if you're sitting here saying, how do I know if I'm remaining or it was just this surreptitious decision at one point in time? I believe in the perseverance of the saints. I believe that the one who's the seed of the gospel fell on good soil, that that person will produce a harvest a hundredfold, sixtyfold, twentyfold. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus said it. It's there in the last verse, verse 23. But I also believe that there are others that the gospel comes in that form of the seed and it falls on the rocky path. It never affects them. It never touches them. There's no response whatsoever. It never never takes root because the soil isn't ready for it. There might be some people in here like that today. Then there's some seed that, that it falls on the path and it starts to take root, but the birds come and they steal it away. And that can be an individual that there was a moment in time where it kind of it resonated. It, it, it stuck. There was an experience maybe. But that was it. And the distractions came and stole it away. That is not a true believer yet. Then there are those that the gospel, the message of the gospel took, started to take root and actually started to produce something. But it was planted in soil that had a bunch of junk in it, namely weeds, Jesus says. And the weeds and the thorns choke it out. And that's like the person, maybe for myself, where I didn't do business with clearing out the sin and I wanted to give safe harbor to sin along with the gospel. That person has not yet truly come to an understanding of who Christ is. The soil wasn't ready for the fullness, for a fully God-approved crop. But God is doing a work within people and He does get that soil ready. And that's the question for us this morning. Was your soil truly ready? And the way you measure that is because there is a harvest. Now He uses the word fruit. And, and the last one is that the, the soil is good, it's ready, and, this, and the seed takes root and it produces a crop 100-fold, uh, 20-fold, 60-fold. But what is that fruit? Is that fruit, because if I were sitting where you were, I'd be saying to myself, well, pastor, does that mean that, that I have to go out and I have to multiply disciples? I've never done that. Ah, oh, I'm not saved. I'm not remaining. Oh, I'm going to go you know, eat lots of food, make myself feel better. No, that's not what that means. That's part of it. That's part of it. Letting your light shine before men, right? But there's also other fruit. Right? Galatians 5.22 The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. You know, the evidence, the harvest, the crop is when you see a changed and transformed life. And when we pay attention to that, there's staying power. And when we cultivate that and we let God cultivate it, there's staying power. Do we want to be effective in discipleship? We have to remain and we have to go multiply. These are Jesus' words.
that I'm simply repeating this morning. The question as we walk away today is, are you remaining in Christ? Work hard at it. Why? Because staying power, it's a discipline. It's not a privilege. Let me close this in prayer today. And if you are between the ages of 20 and 40 and you don't have anywhere for the big game, remember 3 to 3.30 here, fireside room, and um, uh, have a great time. And thank you for all those that wore your jerseys today. I appreciate it. And um, I did bring my jersey, but honestly, I don't think it fits very well anymore. So I didn't want that to be a distraction either. All right, let's pray. And this morning, if you're visiting with us, please fill out one of those cards and on your way out today, drop it in the box on the right. And if you've brought your gifts and offerings, those go in the box on the left. Uh, Please contact us throughout the week. Let us know how we can pray and minister to you. And I encourage you, when it comes to this idea of remaining in Christ, listen to the words of Christ and pursue that. Make sure that it's an FGA approved crop right let me pray father this morning we give you the glory in all of this work we thank you for the ability to sit and and worship through the lord's table and to reflect on you through the lord's table this morning father i pray that we learn what faithfulness means that we are not so easily distracted that we have this idea of staying power that this testimony of this real man named Amal decides to stay in the middle of a, of a uh, terrifying firefight with a very good chance he will not come out alive. And he decides to stay. The true essence of remaining. Let us see that conviction in our faith. So that we're not so easily distracted, dissuaded, That our faith is not something of convenience because there is so much at stake. And let us in our heart have a concern and love for those around us that need to know Christ and let us go and multiply. Thank You, Father, for the work that You are doing within our body already in this area. I give You the praise for that and I ask that You continue to do so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.